Hello, welcome to another Musicalize Focus with me, Musicalize editor Joe Sparrow. And in this episode, we're joined by Andrew Beatty and Morgan Hyduck, who are both co-CEO and co-founder of BeatDap, which is a platform that processes huge quantities of data to detect streaming fraud for clients like labels and streaming platforms. We welcome them back to the podcast a year after they first appeared here to update us on the state of streaming fraud. And they have some truly shocking statistics to share with us. Try saying that quickly. All of that in one minute. Now, each Music Ally Focus episode analyzes one meaningful music business story at a time, just like this one. And so the podcast is also going to be quick. It should take about the same amount of time as Anurada Mandal could extinguish 750 candles with a plaited ponytail. Anurada extinguished 26 in one minute in 2011. Now, talking of moving quickly to snuff things out in increasingly complicated ways, identifying music streaming fraud is an ever-mutating game of whack-a-mole for people like Andrew and Morgan. They chat to me about the changes in streaming fraud recently, what percentage of all streaming is actually fraudulent, how many billions of dollars will be siphoned out via fraud this year, and they explain a remarkable statistic that according to their calculations, 40-60% to 60% of all streams from songs distributed via a number of well-known distributors are fraudulent. Let's go over and speak to Andrew and Morgan right now. All right, well, I'm very happy to welcome back to the podcast, uh, Andrew and Morgan from BeatDap. Hello to both of you. Thanks for having us. Hey, Joe. Missed you. Yes, it's about a year. Now, uh, we're revisiting streaming fraud with Andrew and Morgan. Uh, to talk about the developments that have been taking place in the last 12 months, because last time we had you on, it was really fascinating. So we, we know a lot has changed. But as a, a, a real sort of uh, starting point, can you give us the sort of nutshell stuff of uh, who you are and what BeatDap does, please? Yeah, sure. We're uh, the leading fraud detection uh, company for streaming, for music specifically. Um, so we look at all the different data that's coming from DSP platforms, distributors, uh, whoever, and analyze it for fraud. So streaming manipulation, account takeovers, which is becoming more and more common. Um, we look for things like money laundering schemes. Sometimes they point us in direction of uh, content I, I, you know, IP infringement, you know, because you, everyone can steal songs, uh, but if no one's playing them, there's not much damage. So there's a lot of interesting sort of dynamics around how we sometimes catch IP infringement because we're looking for the specific user behaviors. But in a nutshell, we analyze all the user behaviors and go back to the streaming platforms and distributors and say, here are all the fraudulent actors we found. Here's the fraudulent songs. Here are the fraudulent artists. And we help them sort of uh, readjust payouts and pro rata payouts for all of the, the correct people. Right. Okay. Um, that's nice and clear then. So we had you on the podcast last year. It was quite revealing some of the things you said you were explaining how your systems worked and how you look for things. So if, if you're listening and haven't heard that, I recommend you listen to that as well to get a sort of snapshot of how Beatdown works and what they look for. But streaming fraud is obviously, as you pointed out last time, an ever-mutating beast. People are trying to find new ways to, to fraudulently uh, game the system. So what, what changes and progress, both positive and negative, have you observed in the last 12 months? Well, I'd say just on our end, from a progress standpoint, I'm trying to think of what the exact number would have been a year ago, um, but it would be a fraction of where we are today. So we've looked at, uh, to date, about 1.4 trillion streams and about 30 trillion data points, maybe a handful more associated with those streams. Um, and so our view of the landscape has really just improved and increased and we are able to see across 
more platforms, more collection societies, more distributors um, than we were last year. And I think that's for us more than anything solidified the scale of the problem, um, our concern with it and the flow through effects on market share for all of the legitimate creators out there who are being paid by any economic model in the music industry. So to us, I think a year of progress has meant for the business just a lot more data to analyze and a lot more confidence in our ability. Um, and for the industry, I think it's just sort of confirmed that, you know, as expected, an economic pie that is growing materially year over year, that's still accessible to fraudsters is a desirable target. And that's, you know, something that gives us both cause for concern and a reason to exist. And I think that's you know, sort of where we are a year later. What are the sort of big headline things you've noticed, the big things that have stuck in your mind from the last year? Yes. I mean, as, as Morgan pointed out, the data we're collecting is is growing exponentially. Like, it's, it's really quick. Like I, we have an internal target. We think we'll probably be at 80 trillion events, just to give you an idea. Like, so it's it's like, you know, 3x almost from where we are, where we are now. Um, I think that uh, the things we're seeing, we're, we're both seeing a confirmation of what our hypotheses were early that 80% of this is from financial scammers, not from artists themselves. So you're not seeing, uh, I mean, you do see some artists try to juice streams or stream manipulate, but it's the minority of the problem. It's less than 20%. 80% we're seeing is financially motivated fraud, which means that they do not want to be in the charts. They don't want to be in the top top 100, top 10. They would rather have you know 500,000 devices working in concert to play a song one time per day across uh, multiple streaming services and extract value in pennies. Um, like that is that is the, the sort of breadth of the problem we're catching. And it's no longer an unsophisticated fraud where it's just attacking your website domain, for example. It's actually looking at things like, um, uh, you know, account takeovers so that they can blend in. So we're seeing a, a sort of uh, a larger volume of account takeover percentages increasing. So like, Instead of having to create the bot, if I want to make Morgan famous and then I have to create all the data around Morgan to make him look like a normal user, it's much easier these days just to steal Morgan's account and play it for 10 minutes. Morgan doesn't know. It's hard for a platform to see that this 10 minutes was not actually Morgan because who's to say he wasn't at a conference, like, you know, at a table and someone recommended an artist that he just jumped over and listened to for three tracks. So it's really difficult to sort of pin that down. I think in large data sets like ours, we're able to identify those things that on a streaming platform, a streaming platform level, they might not be able to see. Um, and so again, like all those things are confirmed and in, in sort of uh, the account takeovers. I think we have a very strong opinion that no matter what the economic model is, fraud will also occur. So it doesn't matter if it's a user-centric model or an artist-centric model, or if it stays in a pro rata model, there, wherever there's an incentive to make money, there will be fraudsters to make that money. Uh, and so it is whack-a-mole. Like we are constantly battling down one, one type of attack. And then, you know, a month later, you see them pop up across dozens of services with another type of attack. So like that's just sort of how they operate. And, and I think we're making it harder and harder and harder for them and doing our job. And I think as we expand across the industry, we should see those fraud numbers come down. And, and ideally, then all we're left with is, you know, let's say five years from now, artists that um, are manipulating in, in a kind of more sophisticated fashion. I think there's one piece of color that's helpful for listeners who aren't as immersed in the fraud space slash the dark underbelly of the internet generally as we are. Um, and it, it's one of the ones that sort of, even as a you know non-lay person in this space, this stat still sort of blows my mind. So if you think about 
or if you think about the, the um, login form on most consumer-facing websites, that's everything from your bank to Facebook to streaming platforms to Twitter and, or X, as it's now called, and everything else in between. Um, upwards of 90% of the login attempts on those forms are bots attempting to do credential stuffing, which is effectively someone has stolen usernames and passwords from a data breach or from another site, and they're now in a sophisticated and systematic manner testing to see if those credentials work on another platform. So I got your data in the Experian breach, and I'm now testing to see if that username and password works on Spotify. And the reason this is important, and sometimes it's upwards of 99%, like sites will report that 99% of the traffic is, is, is basically bot traffic testing credentials. The reason that's important is because when you think about the context of, well, how do you steal an account? How hard is it to really get your hands on my credentials? With that volume of constant testing, and for testing for many reasons, it's not just about streaming fraud, um, it's really easy to understand how bad actors are able to obtain legitimate account credentials, take over those accounts, and use them for any purpose. And so I think the scale of this on the internet as a whole is a nice sort of mirror to what's happening in music streaming, in the sense that we're just one of the verticals where this sort of attack is being tested. And it just happens to work, I think, particularly well in music. Because let's be serious, we probably don't care as much about our Spotify username and password hygiene as we do about our bank or our credit card or our you know, tax details. So um, it just opens up that, that vector in a way that I think is often misunderstood, the, the ease with which and the frequency with which people are trying to do this um, across the internet. So really what we've got essentially is that streaming platforms are an, an ideal attack point because we perhaps aren't so good with looking after passwords there. We use them across other platforms. The, the, the behavior on the platform literally generates money every time we do something on there for 30 seconds, you generate a royalty. So there's a real incentive there. And then the massive scale of streaming platforms with hundreds of millions of users means that these fraudsters can operate at massive scale. They're sophisticated in sort of building out their segment. So there's one fraudster that's just testing to see all these credentials work. There's another fraudster who then licenses or leases those accounts from that fraudster in, in buckets to repackage to other providers. There's another fraudster who builds the bots to package on top of those buckets. And then there's the final fraudsters who then market you the streams or, or the front of you know the point of contact you have when you're trying to buy streams. So everyone's segmented in a supply chain the same way you would see it in a real business. And it's they're all focused on their specialty areas and uh, sort of and sort of doing that. So what that means in today's world is it's just as easy for me to spin up 500,000 accounts on a Spotify or any kind of streaming platform, um, not just Spotify. I don't want to pick on them, like literally any yeah. platform possible. Um, you can spin up these accounts just as easy as it is to, to turn on a virtual server on AWS. Like I go to AWS, I say spin up a, you know, a server, an EC2 instance or whatever, and it's, it's bandwidth based. I, want, I need it for 10 minutes. I rent it for 10 minutes. Like it's it's so easy to take over these accounts now and users don't realize they're being that they're they're compromised. Like to Morgan's point, no one's looking at the other interesting fact is that people change their Facebook password once every 18 months on average, which happens to coincide with when they get a new phone. So like people aren't really active in maintaining these things. It makes you wonder why these people who've developed all these skill sets and different sort of technology expertise areas aren't just working in the music industry because they, they could surely be making more money doing that stuff and doing it that way around. Now, look, I, we, we're we seeing an increasing amount of music getting uploaded each day to DSPs. Um, 
we're, we're told this sort of debatable 100,000 tracks uh, number, but it's obvious that more stuff is being uploaded. We've got the promise of much more to come with uh, AI music, apparently. Uh, as more music gets uploaded, does it stand to follow that fraud will be easier to hide if these people are really just scraping percentages off the top of it all? I think that's the big and legitimate concern of most everybody who's sort of in the ecosystem, right? Like if you have a hundred thousand songs a day are uploaded today and you know, down the long tail, you can point a couple of streams at tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of those tracks over the course of a year, that's, you know, scale in and of itself. But if it's a million tracks a day, again, the ability to sort of hide in the shadows just becomes easier because there's just more content um, to target at very low volumes that don't trigger any sort of, you know, it's like the it's like the equivalent of like an immune response, right? Like you know, there has to be enough um, there has to be enough there to trigger the response from the system. And if you have a million songs a day and you know hundreds of millions or billions of tracks on platforms, it's just much easier to hide in the shadows. Yeah. Plus, it's just become easier. Like we we have an internal thing that we call a distributor risk score because we can see like where all the frauds coming from which distributors, and uh, and we have like a, a you know we can see what percentage and. It's common for us to see fraud, you know, between 20 and 60 percent of all streams on multiple distributors uh, month over month. And so we're seeing massive amounts and some big names that you would not expect. And, and, and it's not just like it's one or the other. Like there's also some distributors who are very clean, who have almost no fraud. So it's not like an all distributor problem, but it definitely lends itself if, to DIY platforms. And I think one of the risks is that, you know, they have an incentive to sort of keep it going. Um, because they take a percentage of the revenue that comes through. So if 50% of their streams are fraudulent and they benefit from being a pipe, it's hard to say that they should be the ones shutting it off. I think there's just a misalignment there. I think some of the listeners might be a bit staggered at that number, that up to 60% of all streams on well-known, some well-known distributors are fraudulent. Yeah, and I would, I mean, that's, I would say that what's crazy is like that's an average... <laughs> I'm giving you a number in okay. see month over month. Uh, we've seen some spike as high. I think the highest I saw was 74% in a month. But, you know, you're talking about a massive amount of, of streams. So, on, on, so just, just for the sense of scale here, on some well-known distributors, there are times when nearly three quarters of all streams that are processing through that distributor in a month yeah, and I would say that's with our 99.999% confidence. There's also a really large suspicious bucket that we don't tell them is fraud, that we're like, hey, this could be something else. Because we have to be absolutely certain. The thing about us that I would that I like we take to the bank here is and actually put our money where our mouth is, is that we do not call something fraud unless we're absolutely certain. We actually have like an entire team that is constantly validating our models over and over and over again to make sure that our false positive rates are low. We actively look to disprove why something might might look like it's fraud because you don't want to punish a, or penalize a super fan. So we are actively looking and we have to be very confident. So it's not one thing that they flag for. It's like here's 47 things that are indications of fraud that in concert with each other and 100,000 other users, you can be confident in this fraud uh, analysis. But there is a massive suspicious bucket that we can maintain. Like we'll call it a watch list, suspicious bucket, yeah. whatever. And that's also still present. So this problem is huge. It's a lot bigger than people want to say. But, you know, 74 is an anomaly. I'll, I'll go back to sure. 40 to 50% yeah. commonly on a lot of streaming uh, DIY distributors. Uh, but uh, but there's... But I think I think even even like a sort of, if you row it back to 40 or 50%, it's still average. 
it's huge, right? And we're talking about distributors here that are well known and trusted, yeah. and but but they, but they they will allow people scammers to upload like shadow tracks easily, so that then they can be identified from the other side and the DSP side to do discrete plays and scrape pennies out of the machine like that. Yeah. So, who do you think might be most frustrated at this news that these trusted pipeline partners maybe it should be artists artists should be upset yeah. because it's the artists and the rights owners that that end up losing their pro rata market share and it's not it's not just you know it, and and dsps are obviously tr- like i think the the sort of misnomer here is that dsps aren't trying to solve it like the reason we're in business is dsps want to solve it they come to us we've been working for years kind of to help them with this fraud issue even some distributors want to solve it like you know one of the downsides to this too is you can't really push down the supply chain the information that you've caught somebody because as soon as you do they change their tactics so one of the early things morgan and i learned was that originally we were like let's just tell people it's fraud then you see them shut fraud down and come at a different direction so it's it's not, there's also this element of sort of following along the fraudster to see how pervasive the problem is and how they're clustering specific tracks or how certain labels are involved like that are typically fake labels that they've created not like real labels with real artists so there's an element of sort of watching all of this stuff that's required before you just pull the plug kind of like the fbi doesn't go in day one and say here's all here's all the issues like you track things for a while and then you notify partners when you're confident and you've sort of eradicated and, and, and viewed all the different things that are going on so I think that puts a lot of distributors at a disadvantage because they might not have up-to-date information right away. And one things that we, one of the things Morgan and I tried to do is say, hey, look, let's help distributors. Let's offer them this product for free. Let's try to help distributors identify potential fraudsters so that they don't upload the music in the first place. Um, and so we, you know, we offered that over a year ago for free to some distributors. And we've worked with a lot of distributors helping them combat fraud and stay ahead of it. Um, you know, so that so that they aren't the ones causing the problem. And ultimately, I think long term, those are the ones that are going to work out because they won't have this, you know, as this stuff sort of, you know, con- like as this stuff sort of converts in adoption and, and sort of you have this this sort of, uh, you know, payments delayed or, or withheld or whatever. The ones that are doing it right are inevitably going to be ones in the strongest financial position because they mm-hmm. built their companies baselined on that as opposed to having to right size themselves to whatever the new reality is. So I think a lot of distributors are coming to us now and saying, will you please help us? We're very open to that because we want to try and stop fraud at every level. Um, but I think that the point here is that everyone's trying to solve it. There's not a really a bad, you don't point fingers at anyone because honestly, we're all on the same side of the table. Distributors, yeah. DSPs, artists, like we're all trying to fight the fraud together. It's not, no one's to blame here. Like we shouldn't be pointing fingers at each other except pointing at the fraudsters that are trying to harm everyone yeah. in the industry. And I'm sure none of the distributors are sort of sitting there, sort of twiddling the mustaches, saying, "Haha, we're getting away with this." It's just they're they're being scammed as well, aren't they? They're, they're, it's, they're, you're being taken advantage of to create uh, fraud. If we zoom out a bit, what what percentage of st- all streaming do you think music streaming is fraudulent? Really? Because last time you said it, I remember you said it could be between five or ten percent, and I thought that was kind of shocking. And since then, in the last month or so, Spotify has said. In, in a statement, less than 1% of all streams on Spotify have been determined by them to be artificial, which I, is not fraud, but it's it's there's an element of something there, isn't there? And Deezer subsequently said recently around the time it um, signed this agreement with uh, Universal around the new streaming rates, it said that around 7% of its streams were fraudulent. So 
where, where are we? Has it changed or is that, are we getting closer to the truth here? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of happy that the range is sort of playing out right where we expect it would be. Um, look, I, 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 trying to parse the different reasons for calling something fraud versus artificial probably has as much to do with comfort, you know, using the word fraud versus artificial. And we don't begrudge anyone who calls it something different. Truthfully, we've heard everything from spin juicing to stream manipulation to artificial streaming to fraud to you name it. So all of them to us mean the same thing, right? It's this sort of inorganic listenership that's driving revenue to people who aren't rightfully earning it. Um, but the range to me feels right. I think, you know, we said five to 10%. I think depending on the platform, it can certainly be higher than that. Um, and, but, you know, the, the macro point is at $175 million US per point of market share, the number is almost irrelevant. Like it's, it's, it's not irrelevant in the sense that obviously 1% at 175 million and 10% at 1.75 billion is a material difference. Yeah. But even $175 million of revenue flowing through to fraudsters is a bad outcome for artists. So like we spend a fair amount of time trying to dial in the range and it's ever changing on a platform by platform basis. And it can change month to month depending on what gets caught the month before and where tactics are being shifted to. But the reality is 175 million bucks a point is a material and consequential number for so many people um, and everyone who earns a rightful living in the music business. Yeah. And who cares? Like how long to, to quote a friend of ours from another position, I won't say uh, who cares how long the yarn is like at this point it's long. Uh, so if it's 10, yeah. if it's 12, if it's eight, if it's 20, like at seven, we still have to solve it at one, we still have to solve it. So it's, it's sort of either way we need to solve the problem. And, and we think we're best positioned to do that. But um you know, it depends like kind of who you ask. And and I think that that number is, is, you know, still alarming no matter what. Yeah. I mean, even if it's air quotes here, only 5% of the total at 175 million per data per percentage point, that's, that's a billion dollar industry, essentially. Um, that's a lot of leakage um, into scammers pockets. So beyond the sort of perpetual whack-a-mole that you mentioned, what, what sort of material what would, what would be the changes that would make a significant difference to clamping down on fraud? I think every streaming service, like we're, we're a bolt on to them. Like they, all of them have tried, they're trying to solve fraud, but they're not, I don't think a streaming service wants to be the police of the, of streaming. Like at the end of the day, they want to have the best um, consumer experience possible delivering content. And, and, and that's where they're, energy should be like, otherwise we would all have servers and none of us would use Amazon. Like it's the same sort of concept. So we are really well positioned to look across industry, to help find and eradicate fraud, to see it starting early and shut it down on every other platform before it spreads. Like all, there's all of these reasons to have a platform like us, the same reason they use a similar platform for like ad tech or in the finance industry, they use something called Verifin, um, you know, that, that did this for all the banks. So I think we're well positioned to be that company. And I think most streaming platforms don't want to put 50 to 60 headcount on solving this problem internally when they can out, you know, they can basically outsource a large portion of that to us. And then, you know, we work hand in hand with their smaller internal fraud teams to sort of deliver bespoke products uh, for, for them internally. So, you know, the way I see it is, is that's, that's what's required. And, and I think we're well on our way to having sort of an industry adoption. I think it's just going to take like the next 18 months for us to sort of move across all the streaming platforms and get as much as much of that on board and, and constantly keep 
you know, building new models and new ways to identify fraud. Because sometimes Morgan and I catch stuff or the team catches stuff and we're just like, wow. And then you go look for it and it's been there the whole time. You just didn't know to look for it until you discovered it. So it's, it's one of those weird things where we're constantly evolving and constantly finding new stuff. And I think that that's what's important here. Just having a dedicated force on this thing. You, you did ask the guys who run the streaming fraud detection company what steps should be taken. So I shouldn't, shouldn't be surprised that you got, yeah, they should use BDAP as the, uh, as the answer. But yeah, the, I, other, I, the other thing I, I respect would... your hustle. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what, I mean, what, as a final question then, this is a vast, 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 multifaceted fraud. Getting it to 0% is going to be very difficult. But what sort of percentage figure do you think would feel more acceptable to, to the industry of saying, well, like we, you know, like 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 the, like water pipes, right? You 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 know you're going to lose a certain percentage of water between the reservoir and your home, but like, what's an what's an acceptable amount? Yeah, look, I think the aspirational target is always zero, but I agree. In any system, there's always potential for fraud, and you know, or or that like if you go to a retail setting, you have yeah. shrinkage on the on the as a line on any sort of major retailers' uh, books, and that just represents theft from the store. And despite all the measures they take, there still will be theft. Um, but I think aspirationally, like we're aiming for zero and knowing that it'll probably come in above that. Um, but I think less than 1% is a completely realistic and attainable goal. Right. The other thing here is, you know, music, while it feels, I think, huge to us in the industry, and it is a massive business, is still relatively small in terms of the scale of total online revenues. And so one of the advantages that I think we have is the harder we make music, the, the in fraud sort of terms, the more we shrink the attack surface for the industry, which is to say the harder it is to get paid for doing bad things in music, the more likely it is that fraudsters will eventually do the sort of cost benefit of, you know what, maybe PayPal was a better target after all. And they'll, you know, mm -hmm. go to another vertical that has less stringent or, you know, more attack vectors. And so to us, the like macro goal for the business and the reason why we want to work with everyone across sort of all facets of the value chain is because the more collectively we defend ourselves, the harder the target becomes, the more likely it is that we're not as attractive despite revenues continuing to increase. Increase. So like, I guess that's probably the really aspirational goal is, you know, there are few problems in any industry, but particularly in music that have almost universal both acceptance and willingness to fight. And this is one of them. And so to that end, the faster we can coordinate everybody and get everyone rowing in the same direction and sort of hardening up their respective parts of the value chain, the faster it is that we can hopefully make music unappealing to people who are committing fraud. And then all you're left with, by the way, at the point that you sort of eradicate the financial fraud aspect of it, what you're left with and what there always will be is the sort of perception motivation of either people trying to get to the top of the charts or people trying to break through and be noticed. And I don't know that that ever goes away, but it responds to it. They respond to a very different um, set of incentives, I think, like legitimate artists who've made a mistake respond to a different set of incentives than fraudsters who are there to either make or clean money. Okay, well, I, I will put a couple of links to um, some relevant recent blog posts that you've put up that sort of will dig into this a bit more for people who are um, having their heads turned a bit by these these numbers and, and, and how it works. Uh, but great to see you both again and have you on the podcast and, uh, and, and hear about what's going on. Finally, one really last question before you go. For both of you, if you could only pick one piece of music to listen to for the rest of your life, what would it be? One piece or one Stand artist? It could be an... I'm, I'm more flexible these days as I'm getting older. So it could be an artist or an album or a song. Uh, for me, it's Standing Outside the Fire by Garth Brooks. 
which I think is probably like the uh, unofficial anthem of uh, entrepreneurial country fans. Okay, <laughs> instant answer. I like it a lot. Thank you very much, uh, Andrew. Well, since Morgan took Garth Brooks and uh, small weird fact, but Morgan and I's both first concert was Garth Brooks on the same tour. Okay. And so we are in love with Garth Brooks and we often joke, we made this company to someday hope to meet him. Uh, but uh, outside of him, which is a complete uh, other side of the spectrum, I would say Tupac. Uh, I, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, no, that's fine. That's great. That's a Tupac. nice variety. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. I will. I will put both of those, and I, I do uh, hope that you you achieve your ambition of beating Garth Brooks. Garth, if you're listening, we love you. <laughs> there, you there you go. Personal fraud analysis uh, waiting for you whenever you need it, Garth. Uh, so, um, look, <laughs> Andrew and Morgan, uh, very grateful and uh, nice to see you again. And uh, thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thank thanks for having us, Joe. All right. Thank you again to Morgan and Andrew for uh, sharing all that great data with us. Uh, it's worth noting, of course, that we. Uh, recorded that podcast before the recent development of some DSPs announcing changes to their payment threshold, which might mean in the future that that songs in the future will require a certain number of streams uh, before payout is triggered. So a little bit of a change in context, perhaps, since we spoke, uh, but I think their basic point and the statistics still stand. Uh, Now, if you found that useful, please share the podcast on with someone else who you think will get something from it. And if you want to get in touch with me, I would love, of course, to hear from you. You can email me on joe, J-O-E, at musically.com. Don't forget we have a free weekly email called The Knowledge, which rounds up a soupçon of the best analysis, news, marketing insight, and skills from across Music Ally's broad range of services. So sign up and impress your friends. Links are in the description below the podcast as ever. That's it. Thanks for listening. Uh, I've been Joe Sparrow. You've been you. And until next time, farewell.